This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash rubyrogues. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Eric Berry. Hey there. Dave Kimura. Hey, everybody. Uh, David Richards. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that's Sebastian Sogamozo. I hope I said that something close to right. You did a great job. Uh, do you want to quickly introduce yourself and uh, let us know who you are? Sure. Uh, so as you said, my name is Sebastian. Uh, I uh, am a software developer, been doing software for around six years uh, in Ruby for the last five years. Before I did a little bit of Java and PHP, I think a lot of people have at some point in their careers. And um, I live in, well, actually, I, I'm currently living in Panama City. I'm, I used to live in Colombia where I grew up. I just moved here a few months ago. I work for a company called Cookpad, uh, work remotely for them. And I also organize a Ruby conference in Colombia. We've been doing this for three years. This is going to be our fourth year. It's going to be in September, probably. We're still finding the date, but I'd like to invite people to attend. Very cool. And uh, you spoke at uh, RubyConf. You talked about how you really messed some stuff up, <laughs> which was kind of fun. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, uh, let's just dive Call. right in. Uh, you know, I got to say, um, uh, we, we have a lot of guests and, and some of the guests we have on, we talk about things that are a little bit more technical and a little bit more in, in depth um, than what I'm used to thinking about. Right. Uh, and a lot of those ones, I kind of tune out a little bit just because it's so deep. It's beyond what I'm allowing myself to understand. But when I saw the topic that we we're bringing you on for, I know I'm an expert. I'm an absolute expert in failing. Right. So <laughs> I'm super excited about this topic because I am so good at failing. Uh, and I can't wait to hear your stories and, and, and what you got going on there. Yep. <laughs> It's, I'm glad to hear that you're also an expert. Uh, and, 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 and to be honest, I think we are, we all are. It's just like we don't talk a lot about our failures and the times we screw up uh, because it's, it's embarrassing. It's not something that, that we feel proud of. And uh, that's kind of like the point that took me, uh, I mean, that gave me courage to talk about this at a conference uh, and like to tell everyone about the biggest <laughs> I've, I've, gone through uh, so yeah i don't know should i tell the story again or what, what what do you guys think yeah go ahead and tell the story i don't know how many people have watched the talk um we'll just make sure we don't take 25 minutes on the story oh yeah sure sure yeah i'll i'll, I'll do it briefly so uh i used to work for this uh company that had a carpooling app so the whole idea was to get people to carpool to work and back home together each day and uh, people could uh, have like a carpool where different persons, uh, would, yeah, where a different person drove every day, or you could even be part of different carpools or on different days of the week. Uh, so basically, the the what the app did was keep track of all of that, and then once a week, uh, take care of the uh, like payment part of those things, which is kind of like what. People, apparently people dread the most about carpooling. Uh, so what the, what the system did is basically like just look at the records of the trip each person took that day, uh, sorry, that week, and then like charge them for the trips they took and then pay the drivers uh, of those trips in case they weren't driving. 
Um, so that was kind of like what the system did, uh, just to give a little bit of context. Then what happened? So the thing is that like this process, I don't know why we decided that it was a good idea to have this process run on Saturday mornings at 6 a.m. Uh, and then like on a given sun Saturday morning, uh, I started to get a lot of complaints from, uh, users and calls from users angry, uh, that were really angry because, uh, when they were like about to, I don't know, buy groceries or pay for breakfast that day, they, they found out that either their, uh, bank accounts were empty or their credit cards were maxed out. <laughs> uh, so that day didn't start really well. As you can imagine, and what then happened as we started to to dig into the problem was that uh, we had, I would say, like a like two very kind of like simple bugs, but which in combination were like very powerful and very harmful. Uh, and those were that uh, we. Basically, so let's say that we had a thousand trips that we needed to charge that week. So we go, we got all of those. What, what, how does it, what the system did was basically get all of those thousand uh, trips, put them on a queue and then process them one by one. Uh, the thing is that that week, because of a, a code change, uh, we were not putting those, uh, trips only one time in the queue, but we were putting them a thousand times. So we were putting each trip as many times as trips we had to charge. So it's, it's, it was like, you can imagine the amount of trips we were, <laughs> we were charging that week. Oh. Uh, and so that was the first block and that was really bad, but that could have been like contained if the second block was impressive. And the second one, you could, I mean, it's debatable if it's a bug or not. I think it is, but. Uh, the thing is that we were not checking if we had already charged the user for that trip, which we should have. Uh, and then we just kept charging them over and over and over until basically, uh, we were out of trips. Fortunately, we stopped the process before that happened, but the damage was already done. That's, that's amazing. And we, we did an episode a few weeks ago where we talked about, um, you know, emergencies and things like that. Uh, we did it right around Christmas. So we were talking about, you know, over the holidays or weekends or inconvenient times as well. But it's interesting because a lot of, I think a lot of the focus of that show was more around, well, if I messed it up, you know, it went, the system went down or it wasn't showing the right data or, you know, maybe it even corrupted data. I mean, th this is something that's like, oh, you know, in, in your talk, it was, oh, well, I went to get breakfast and it, you know, my credit card was declined because you guys messed up. So, you know, if, if it's impactful like that, you know, not just, Hey, I can't use your service, but you know, your service just sucked my bank account dry. I mean, how do you handle that? Well, that's a really good question. Uh, it's tough because, uh, so what we did actually, and I think it wasn't a good decision at the moment. What we did right away was like the most obvious thing, which is trying to revert what just happened. So you know that when you use payment gateways, uh, you can do refunds on every charge you, you do, right? So we, we went straight away and uh, like issued refunds for everyone. And the thing is that refunds take normally five business days to get uh -huh. into the user's account. So when, you're, when your credit card is maxed out and like your uh, account is empty, that's not a good, like, <laughs> I mean, that, that, that five days is a lot. Because you need to pay for like for everything, right? Uh, so one of the things we did for users who didn't want to wait five days was to actually reach. I mean, we reached out to all of them. It took a long time, but we offered them uh, like other options to get them to send them their money faster. So one of them, for example, was just like sending them a check uh, for the exact amount we get, which we had charged them, and then we. We, on our own, uh, decided what to do with the refund or, or whatever we had to do on our side. But we just like offered them the quickest, the quickest way possible, which was different in each case, to send them the money back in case they wanted. Some people were fine waiting, but uh, some people weren't. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. You know, I think maxing out 
people's bank accounts doesn't sound like a sustainable business model. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so what was the postmortem? Like, you know, with some kind of breach and stuff, uh, you're usually going to see a lot of people move off to a different service. So did you see a huge decline in users afterwards or was it, you know, did it kind of rebound and climb back up? Did you restore that confidence to the clients? Yeah, that, that's a good question, uh, especially talking about confidence. So uh, just before I answer your question, there's like two things about confidence. When something like this happens that, that at least I learned uh, after this, it's that like you're not only you're not only affecting the confidence of you that the user has on your product. It's also like the confidence that coworkers have on you if it was your fault or in your team. In this case, it was like a team of people who were in charge of this and like people didn't feel really good about what software we were building after that. But okay, I, I'll go back to your question. So, uh, so gaining users trust again, it's really hard. Uh, so I'll tell you what happened and then I'll tell you what I think general about it. So what happened is like, uh, the, the users that were, most affected, unfortunately, were like our most loyal users because they were the ones who took more trips that week. So that was like, that put us in a really bad situation. Our policy at that point was to be really honest about what happened and like not try to lie, not try to say that something different happened, assume the responsibility and actually be proactive reaching out to users. Some users when we reached out to them hadn't noticed uh, that we had taken a lot of money away from them. And, and it's always better like that. It's always better when, when the company is reaching out to you to tell you, Hey, we screwed up. We're sorry. This is what we're going to do to fix it. This are we, what, this is what, uh, we're offering to take care of the damage with it. Uh, so that's one of the things we did. But, and, and like talking about like user decline or using switching apps or using leaving, uh, we didn't have like a huge impact to be honest. Uh, like, and that, that's very fortunate. Uh, but there was definitely people that left, people that stopped using the application. And I think that's something that's in inevitable. It will always happen if you have like such a, such a big problem, such a big mess up. Uh, you just have to like deal with the consequences. Like no one wants this to happen, but it's, it's inevitable, I think. Uh, so, so yeah. So, uh, what I was, what I think every, like anyone in this position should do is like, be fully transparent to their users, be proactive, as I think we, I already mentioned we did. And also, another thing I think we did, uh, well, is to like offer, offer users like the best, uh, solution possible, even if it's going to cost, uh, money to the company that, uh, I mean, more money to the company that it's already costing because it's, it's like your reputation. And that, and I think that's, that's normally, uh, more costly than anything else and probably that the money you might end up spending uh, by trying to do the best thing for your users. It's harder to find in early stages when the failure is through a background job when you're queuing up stuff. Um, that's a really hard one to find because it's actually not an error that's occurring. It's not going to go into roll bar. It's not going to, you know, end up in your face. It's going to be something that typically, typically you're going to find out down the road from, from a, uh, from a customer that, Hey, you guys screwed up. And then you realize how bad it was. I've had that experience in, um, in the queue based, uh, failures as well. Um, the, the second, the second point is, <laughs> You know, me not, uh, my, my mic screwing up totally made me lose the second point. So I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, no, no problem. Yeah. So, uh, I think that, uh, that's, that's a good question. And I think uh, running stuff in the background is always going to be tricky, especially, uh, if you're taking about testing and having good, uh, like test cases that cover, uh, like edge cases kind of, uh, like there's one. So there's, there's a couple things that I actually think are important. So one is like, you can still try to find ways to make sure that, uh, even things that aren't supposed to run synchronously 
work as expected. For example, you can inline tests, sorry, inline, inline like Java executions when, you, when you're running your test suite and stuff like that. Uh, you can also have like a QA team, actually people testing the application, checking that what happens is what's expected to do. And I think this is somewhere where someone, somewhere where we failed, uh, because we had like a QA team actually clicking buttons and running the app and stuff. And did, and we didn't find this. And I'm not saying this, it, this like a QA problem, but this is something that didn't work as, as it should have. And it was kind of our fault because if the QA team would have had access like to the payment gateway, rec, uh, like a console, they could have probably noticed that this was already happening and, and that we were charging them like a lot of times. The problem is that when you are using like, uh, test cards, when you're not really, uh, when you don't really have an account associated to it and it's like a dummy card that has infinite amount of funds, uh, you don't really care, right? Uh, and, and you won't know this un unless you go and check with your like payment gateway to see that the operations that are happening there are actually the ones that should be happening. Uh, and th this, this like leads me to, to something I think I mentioned in my talk, which I think is really important. Like you can have good processes, you uh, like software development processes, you can have good test coverage, you can have code review, you can have a QA team like we did. You can have a lot of like this best practices that definitely help making software better. I'm not saying they don't, uh, but still like uh, building software is a human process and human and like we make mistakes and sometimes we make mistakes collectively and that's where this sort of thing happens. So it's always good to kind of like be prepared for this sort of things. Although it's, although having like safety nets is, it's always best uh, option. Uh, it, it, they, they're not like, bulletproof and eventually they might fail. You know, I, yeah. I like what you're saying there about that plan. Um, I was just thinking about how yesterday we had a problem with that. One, of, I, I work in a fintech company and the bank we worked with, we work with went down and we had everybody in, in place so that there were some problems. We knew exactly how to handle it. Customers were getting called and things were handled immediately but i think it's that human component that because like you said people make mistakes or other systems not in our control can go down and and we, we know what to do when it when it does yeah and one thing i was just gonna mention that sort of off topic if you are using something like stripe uh and background jobs one making sure the background jobs are item potent uh, but also, I know I uh, discovered this a few months ago, but Stripe actually has a idempotency key that you can pass in that would prevent multiple transactions. So if you have a uh, recurring thing that happens once a week, you're charging users, you can set up a cache to where this key would live for you know X number of days for a particular user. And then if that same key is used again, then it's not going to recharge the user. So some stuff like that can help mitigate uh, the risk along with the QA, like you said, in automated tests. Yeah, I think that's, that's why. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think that's why. Is I, I, I'm trying to remember the last day that I didn't deal with item potency. Um, <laughs> you know, I like I never <laughs> thought about it. And then lately, it just seems like because I'm pushing money around, because I'm reporting on whether the money moved around, um, knowing that nothing was duplicated, it seems to be every single day, at least for the last 20 days, I've, that's been my main task. Um, it, it's really important when we move money. It's really important. <laughs> Yeah. And a sentence. <laughs> well, and it's not just with money. You know, you don't want to have a recurring background job that's emailing a customer a thousand times, you know, because that's <laughs> going to be, you know, <laughs> super annoying as well if you've never done that before. You know, they don't appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Or or report um, something to a, to a boss and have something double counted. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Ad importance is something that's really important to keep in mind always when programming. You're right. Not all, not only when you're doing mon like money related stuff. And, and yeah, like not only to keep it 
I mean, to make sure that your code is imported because that's that should be the first place where uh, where you make sure. But also like this also type of like safeguards that uh, payment gateway have, uh, like what you mentioned, and also uh, for example, there's something like a few I think a few queues have this uh, as a plugins or gems you can install. Uh, where you, they can also make sure that you don't add like the same thing over and over. They'll basically like uh, put it off of the queue if you if you add the same thing more than once. Uh, there's a bunch of things you can do to deal with this sort of problem, but uh, yeah, I, I learned this the hard way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and, and and I don't want to gloss over the really good point which you're making. You know, it's like oh, you know, we're thinking about this. Like oh man, if only or this is important. But the important thing was that you. As humans saw the problem, addressed it, figured it out, because these things happen whether or not we think of all the things we could have thought of. You know, the, the important part is failure happens and now what? <laughs> so you're making the good point. Now we're just thinking about, oh, man, what if we could have? So I guess the engineering part of our minds are coming in, man, we, we want to take the pain away. But but I think that really taking the pain away is saying, you know, it's going to happen. doesn't matter how it happens. And now human beings are going to work together and do the hard thing first and, and, and have integrity and in, in the things that it takes. I, I heard a story um, that really impacted me uh, and it was probably years and years ago, but I heard a story about this guy who owned a jet. He was this rich guy, owned a jet, had people that took care of it and he went to the airport to fly and one of the people that he hired had put the wrong fuel in the jet. And if you know, if you put the wrong fuel in a jet, it actually just destroys the jet. You can't, re you can't come back from that. And so this guy's freaking out. He thought he was going to be fired. And he talked to the owner and the owner says, uh, will you ever make that mistake again? He said, no. He says, okay, go get my other jet ready. And then he asked him later, he said, why didn't you fire me? And he said that the reason I didn't fire you is because you above anybody else will never, ever make that mistake again. And I look at that as a developer and I think, wow, these, you know, the bigger the failures, the bigger the learning process. I mean, uh, look, look at what has got us to the point where we're at. Um, it's, it's more failure, failures uh, that drive us than successes. Right now I'm learning Python and Django and my, I'm constantly hitting walls and failing and failing and failing. But right now is like the most fruitful time where I'm learning the most. Anyway, I, I didn't mean to rant on that, but it kind of uh, it really brought up uh, part of part of the reason I'm passionate about your topic is is because it's is it's impacted me so directly as a developer. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with with you, Eric. Uh, I think it's really important. Actually, like it's it's part. I mean, it's part of the experience of failing in such a big way, uh, like being scared about losing your job feeling like uh, you're the best, uh, sorry, the, the worst developer that has ever existed, that this wouldn't have happened to someone else, uh, that uh, yeah, you're not only a failure at your job, but also like as a software developer, it, it, it can also like impact you in a personal uh, like uh, level. And, and it was, it was stressful like this. I mean, uh, finding the bug, deploying a fix was kind of like the easy part. Uh, the hard part after this was dealing with the consequences and like the, the amount of time we have to spend uh, like making things right for the user. I mean, for users, if you could call it that way, at, at least trying to own the mistake and and deal with it the best way possible. Uh, and I, I'm not sure if I mentioned this when I give a talk at RubyCon, but like one of the things I recommend people uh, after like dealing with something like this, like taking a few days off, if it's possible, like decompress because it can be really stressful. Uh, taking uh, taking a few days off, it, it's it's always good. And also uh, keeping in mind that like your failures don't define you. I mean, if something they'll just they'll just help you be a better developer, as you said with the example you you just gave, it's it's, it's amazing because that's exactly what. Like uh, my manager at the time uh, told told us in the team that we're dealing with payments. Like this cost a lot of money to the com to the company. It was a really expensive uh, lesson that you learned. It's like it's the worst time to like let someone in the team go because like 
you just learned a really expensive lesson. And if, if you go work elsewhere, they are the ones that are going to benefit from that, not the company. Uh, I, I, was, I was lucky that my boss at the time thought like that. I, I know that's not always the case, but still, uh, it, from, it, it's from this like big moments of like failure and, and trouble that we learn the most, I think. You know, it, I, I, I think you're right. And it also, from a management perspective, kind of asks, well, you know, what kind of learning is valuable? I mean, we're going to pay for it, right? We're going to send them to a conference. We're going to work together as a team. So as as we invest in, in knowledge, you know, this is like, like you just said, the really expensive things. It's like a different kind of, a, of accounting to say, yeah, my team is really, really smart because I know they're not going to make these, these terrible decisions again <laughs> or, or I'm pretty sure that they're, they're better than most at, at, at these really important things. Interview Cake makes coding interviews a piece of cake. Here's the problem with most coding interview practice. You work on a problem, bang your head against the wall, give up, and look up the answer. And then you're like, what? How do you even come up with something like that? That's why Interview Cake teaches you step-by-step how to come up with clever algorithms. They break it down into a simple set of patterns that can be applied to any problem. To learn more, check out interviewcake.com slash rubyrogues. Ruby Rogues listeners get 20% off Interview Cake's full online coding interview prep course. To sign up today, go to interviewcake.com slash rubyrogues. So how do, yeah, you so- make sure, how do you make sure that these issues don't come up again? Because you mentioned in your talk that you know what, we had tests, we, you know, we did all the, the right things, so to speak, and uh, it didn't work. So do you just write more tests to make sure you don't have a regression? Or are there other things you can do to mitigate similar types of issues uh, beyond that? Yeah, that, that's a really good point. So we did a lot of things. Uh, one of them was actually what you just said, add more tests, make sure that we are covering the uh, test ca- the, the cases we didn't. And uh, that was one of that was part of it. Also, uh, kind of we something we did, uh, which is really particular to this problem, is we kind of like built a uh, like a fake uh, payment gateway that we used uh, in production. Actually, each time, uh, I mean, each week before running the actual process. Uh, Using the like the actual payment gateway, the real payment gateway. So what did this was basically what this allowed us was basically to run the whole like payment process or the billing process each week, just to make sure that the end result was exactly what we were expecting. Uh, this was kind of like a, I would say a, a very costly uh, solution or way to deal with this. And it was and, and like the, the plan was never to keep doing this forever uh, and like ha- basically running the payment uh, process twice um, during like for the rest of the eternity basically. But the, the idea was to have something that allowed us to like gain confidence back not only in ourselves in the process but also like from the rest of the company because as I mentioned before like that's also another part that you have to deal with. And it's like uh, what what the what your colleagues and like your uh, what other people working with you think or feel about the work you're doing after something like this happens because they're part of the same company, they're in the same boat that you are, and they're being impacted uh, by by your screw up, and it's probably not a good feeling to be in that position. Uh, so building building stuff around the work you're doing. Uh, and that stuff can be tools like the one I just mentioned, like better communication channels, being really open about the progress you're making to fixing the problem, uh, and reporting on like on progress and, uh, sharing results and being just in general transparent with the rest of the company will also help in that. Um, which I also think it's, it's quite important. You know, what, one area I, I see that, I, I really like what you're saying, how important that is. And one area that sometimes we complain a lot about, but it's probably a really very valuable thing is the difference between sales and, and development. 
because if we're in a tough situation, the one place we're going <laughs> to multiply the pain the most is, is in the sales organization. And it's almost like a, a canary in the, in the mind, you know, some, how bad is it? What, what do we need to do? You know, if, if they're completely lost and confused, then communication, I was in the lunchroom yesterday and, and a salesperson was saying something was completely inaccurate. I said, oh my goodness, we haven't communicated well. <laughs> you know, it's a good time to say, you know, like what you're saying, you know, yeah, we want to do that thing. And we know we've done that thing if, if the sales team gets it. Um, cause that's the furthest away from, from where we are. <laughs> yeah. So now that I've shared like my biggest screw up with, uh, you and every listener, uh, do you guys have any story that I want to share also about like some kind of like similar situation that you've been in, in the past? I never screw up. <laughs> so, <laughs> do yeah, I have right. to pick just one? <laughs> <laughs> Accidentally deploying the wrong tag to your production environment and completely crashing the system and getting all kinds of wonky results only to realize that a few days later, what actually happened? Yeah, I've done that (laughs) before. (laughs) I've accidentally deleted a prod database. I accidentally accidentally deleted root once <laughs> and the, and the, and the server that I deleted, this was back in the nineties. The server I deleted had, um, about a month's worth of work on it. That wasn't anywhere else, a month's worth of a team's work. So that we're talking about five or six person months worth of work that was lost. Oh man. Yeah. It sounds like, a <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, yeah, and like- I feel like, from my experience too, is like what you came away with was, yeah, I, I had that shock and that fear and that desire to run away or, you know, like my, my initial reaction wasn't anything more than a four-year-old would have. But then after a minute, I realized, okay, but I'm here. And then I walk in, I say, I just did this and okay. And we go to work and we start handling it. We start communicating. And then we have that awkward conversation afterwards. Okay. What do you now know? You know, and, and I'm wondering if that next conversation is, okay, you're fired. And it wasn't. It was, what do you now know? And, and that's critical. And maybe sometimes we don't now know how to avoid it in the future, but we're aware of the bigger picture, which is yeah. valuable. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's something I also think it's a, it's a good idea. It's when, like, writing a postmortem, which was also something we did, uh, it's like the, the whole process, the, the whole idea of, Learning from the lesson, uh, sorry, learning a lesson from what happened, it's not about like finding the culpable or the person that was, uh, who screwed up, who wrote the line of code that created the bug. That's not really the point. And that's really not what matters at the end. Uh, it's like uh, the whole point of, I mean, the whole idea about getting something out of such a bad situation is for everyone to learn, for the team to be better after it, for better processes to be established, uh, for, uh, yeah, I, I know, like, basically to, to get people to work better together to prevent this sort of thing and to get the company to build a better product and ha- be better prepared for this, but not to blame people, not to find what specific line of code was, was that introduced the problem because that won't add any value to anyone. Uh, and that's something that I think is really important about like, uh, postmortems, uh, and also basically don't do get blame and like just look who made the last change in this file, who was the, uh, the guilty one. Besides, we all know it's David's fault. Um, <laughs> David Richards, yeah. That's yeah. right. Okay. It, it, yeah, well, if you I'll have a David that. on your team, it's, it's his fault. <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about this, Chuck. (laughs) Hey, hey, it's it's delegation, right? It's my delegation process. If it's positive, I own it. If it's not, I delegate it. Um, One thing that I just wanted to add to all of this, I mean, we're talking about, you know, sort of these ideas of doing a blameless postmortem and, uh, you know, how do we actually address these problems and things like that. Usually, I have to say the most painless ways that these get handled are on teams that have a process already in place. 
So, you know, people generally, you know, we have a process that we follow for bugs, right? This is, this is how we document it. This is how we duplicate it. This is how we fix it. This is how we document that we fixed it. You know, here's how we test to make sure it's not going to happen again. And so they have all these things in place and you just work through the checklist and you know it's not going to happen. And then they also have the, another process in place for the, oh crap, you know, we're, we're not sure exactly what the right way to handle this particular problem we're having is, you know, they, they have another methodology for doing that. So it's, you know, they, they go through the process of identifying the issue and, you know, solving the problem and rolling back and deploying and all of those things. And that way, you know, people don't freak out and start doing the wrong thing. We all know because it's part of our process that we're going to do a postmortem and the, it's his fault is completely off the table you know, all of these different things. Um, and that way, you know, when you come into it, you come into it basically knowing how to move forward instead of waking up at 6.30 a.m. and going, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. Yes, I really yeah. like that, too, from the perspective. I like, the, I like that, too, from the perspective that uh, if I take blame off the table, there's more than just the one thing to learn. Like, okay, yeah, there's that line of code, but if we're not blaming each other, Hey, you know, I was involved in some of the peer reviews. Hey, you know, I knew a better idea and I didn't teach my team. Um, hey, you know, I could really document our rollback features better. You know, and it's not about blame. It's just about, oh, there's a lot to learn, not just that one acute problem. But but generally, a lot of things have to go wrong before the big thing goes wrong. And And sometimes we can't see it until the big thing's gone wrong. And so if blame is off the table we're actually engaging in something really important. But if blame's on the table, man, you know, game over. You know, there's nothing going to be learned once we're talking about blame. You know, it's now it's defensiveness and who's going to lose their job and, and you know, how am I going to tell this to my wife? Or, you know, I mean, that's just not building a team. That has nothing to do with building a team. I agree. I also just want to add, you know, just having this process in place, it it creates this environment where instead of focusing on whose fault it is, we're focused on the problem. And in the, at the end of the process, we know that we have done everything we can to make sure that it never happens again. So instead of just solving the problem and everybody going, you know, and going to lunch, it's, it's a process where at the end we go, okay, you know, we can confidently tell management or stakeholders or whoever that the problem's gone. Right. And then it's, it's not about, like you said, not about whose fault it is. It's about the problem is solved and we know that we're not going to do it again. And, you know, listening to myself speak, you know, I just realized, you know, I, I talk about, you know, how am I going to explain this to my wife? And I realized, oh, yeah, what if what if it wasn't my wife? What if it was somebody else? And then thinking about, OK, this week, what I did is there was a job position open and there was a woman I was trying to get to come take it. But the way that she sees problems is different than the way I see problems. And so she disqualified herself. In other words, the stress of problems disqualified her from engaging in, in taking a job. And maybe by keeping blame off the table, I know this is kind of a leap, but, <laughs> but, but the idea is that uh, if, if I realize I'm having my experience, but I'm making it safe to learn, other people can be having a very different kind of an experience with this particular meltdown and and if they can learn from it too um it's 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 inclusive in a way that that probably we don't notice until people start leaving the company or you know what i mean that, that people feel really uncomfortable even though we don't realize it so making it safe to learn and grow and not and not you know melt down um is probably a deeper problem than i'd realized yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. It's it's really important to uh, make people, I mean, make people feel that they're in a safe environment to admit mistakes, to admit they they, they screwed up, uh, because otherwise, uh, the, not not only because the culture in the company will be bad if if it's not that way, it's also because then people might end up like trying to hide their errors, which might lead to bigger problems. So that's always going to be bad. So having a culture where people know that it's fine to accept that. They uh, made a mistake. It's, it's it's always healthier for everyone. It, it yeah. seems to be tied to this idea of thinking out loud too, like publicly thinking. Like if it's safe to think publicly, like I can have an incomplete thought like I just had, but I realized there was something off or incomplete. 
and that it's important for learning. And so by being able to be open, public thinking makes it possible to, you know, to do things that we didn't realize were there for us. You know, and then in the midst of it, so let's say if you're not dealing with a detrimental, horrible incident, but you're just dealing with something a bit more minor. And this issue is going to um, wreak havoc on your servers. So it's not even really client facing. Maybe it's a background job that's looping over and over and over and just stacking up exponentially. And it's, you know, taking down your servers, but you have auto scaling in place. But it's an issue that has to get fixed immediately. I think showing support to one another, and this is from across all areas of the organization, between the developers to the QA people to the managers and to the DevOps team to really, you know, set aside, you know, like you guys are saying, the blame and really see, you know, how can we lift each other up and how can we support one another so we can get this problem fixed so we, you know, can move on with our day or with our week. And I think that a lot of times, too many people are so focused and worried about fixing their problem or, you know, covering their own butts that, you know, it's it's almost kind of a demeaning uh, conversation in some groups where they're like, you know, why do you keep doing this or why is this happening? Why aren't you fixing it yet? And I think that's very counterproductive to solving a crisis. Well, the other thing is, is if, you know, let's say that legitimately somebody really did mess up. It, you know, it was somebody's commit that caused the problem, you know, so-and-so, you know, maybe, maybe there's some kind of uh, routine thing that, you know, they, they tend to cause, you know, some of these problems. Doing, handling that during the crisis doesn't help. And then you can have yeah. a conversation afterward and say, look, what can we do to, you know, make it so that this doesn't happen anymore and to have that conversation with them one-on-one. And, you know, I, I like the idea that you, you have there, Dave, with just, you know, that way we're backing each other up and we're solving the problem. And then we can talk about how to make sure that, you know, we don't cause similar problems in the future because it may be a training issue. It may be some other issue. And, you know, there's no reason to make anybody feel badly about it as opposed to just, you know, making sure that we all know what we're doing to make our, our code better in the future. Yeah, not only that, you know, the client doesn't care. The client doesn't nope. care which department made the mistake. You know, why would they care? You know, they just want the issue fixed. So, um, you know, pa- passing the blame game is nothing but an internal j- junk. And it really doesn't serve much purpose. Well, I've actually you know, worked this is- at companies where we had an issue and it was, well, somebody's head's going to roll, right? Somebody got fired you know, on, on several of these kinds of, of issues and it killed the morale of the team. And eventually other people left because of that too. And so, you know, you, you definitely have to avoid that. You know, I'm not saying you don't hold people responsible when they mess up, but there are better ways to handle it than just, you know, firing somebody just to show management that you're being tough on these kinds of issues. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this and this we, we gave this a name. Um, uh, Herbert Simon talks about bounded rationality, you know, that I could do something that makes sense if I'm just defending myself or defending my team. But if the whole system, if the client cares about the whole system working, then we just can't have any of that. We have to work together. Yep, that's a really good point. And, and that's something that I've seen tends to happen in companies where uh, teams kind of like, although they're working on the same product, same system, kind of like end up working in silo. Uh, they kind of like only care about their part of the system or their responsibility working fine and as expected. Uh, so, so it's, yeah, it's, it's really important to try to avoid this sort of thing happening. And there's a bunch of ways of doing that, but one of them is just like making sure that everyone's aligned, uh, that we're, that, it, that the whole team is basically serving the client or the customers or whoever that is. And also that, if there's a problem, it's not like this team's problem. It's like everyone's problem because we're all responsible for the product. You know, I was in a postmortem once and um, not naming names, but there was a, a, a problem that was a meltdown and it was a big problem. And we had a postmortem 
And the person that had made the mistake wasn't in the room. And that person's boss kind of in a sort of voice, you know, like, well, it was actually so-and-so, you know, and I told him not to do that. And that killed the whole meeting. It's like, oh, it's like, everyone's like, like, whoo, it wasn't me. You know, so we immediately went to blame. It's like, this was a very senior person that knew better. That's not usually like that, but it's so easy to mess that up. And so I, I left that meeting feeling like, um, incomplete. Like, I feel like I knew nothing new. I spent an hour of my life talking about problems, but I knew nothing new about how to avoid them or how to participate or what went right or, you know, because it became about that. So I just I thought how subtle that was, you know, that, that we were talking about things and we didn't have quite the answers. And then we went to blame just in a minimal way. He, he was supposedly kind, but he wasn't. And, you know, so he wasn't yelling or anything, but even just that little bit was enough to kind of kill the value of that whole meeting. And so what was there? Probably eight or 10 people there that, that learned nothing <laughs> except for fearing each other, which is counterproductive. Well, and yeah. I think we've heard a couple of times the, the right of that, which is that it, it takes the responsibility away from everybody else. And that's something you need in order to fix the problem is you need everybody to take yeah. responsibility. Yeah. yeah. I was just like, Oh, I'm so glad I'm off the hook now. <laughs> what? Whenever, whenever I need to find the root cause of something, you know, I turn to get blame and then I quickly realized that that was old me who made the mistake. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, common scenario. something get blamed for. Yeah. Show, show you that you're the one who broke it all. So something that, <laughs> that I think is really important is that, uh, for example, remembering what, like one of these big public failures uh, last year, I think it was January, maybe I don't remember. So uh, GitLab has had like this big problem where it was clearly like someone running a com command that like caused something that it, that it shouldn't have that took their, like, their site down for a while. And it was really good to see like they were really open about what happened and how they were, were dealing with it. It was really good to see how the company have had that person back. They never, they never like, uh, although they might have not, they probably should have not told that it was like a specific person because that was kind of like irrelevant at the end of the day. Uh, they, they didn't like say who it was. And also like basically the whole company had it back, that person back working to fix the problem. And also I remember like reading because, uh, they were kind of like lifetime explaining what they were doing. That like at that at some point they asked that person like to leave uh, because that person had been working for a long time and that's also something that's really important to consider when when you when you're in like sort of in a stressful situation that needs to be taken care of uh, promptly and because sometimes you have time to fix it you have time to think about what you're gonna do sometimes uh, it's not like although the problem is big it's it's not something that you need to fix right away. But sometimes it is when you, uh, for example, when you take a side, a big side down. Uh, but even in those cases, it's it's always good to keep in mind that it's better to go slowly and really think through what you're doing. Although, like, it's kind of like counterintuitive. Uh, it's always going to lead to finding uh, like the best solution if you take your time to uh, decide what what the that what the approach to solving the problem is instead of like rushing things. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really like, like GitLab's uh take on handling situations like that. They even live streamed uh their talks and stand-ups to, you know, like get together and problem solve it. Like I don't think I've seen any other company do that. And just their take on it's really cool. Yeah, and and I love the idea of not moving fast. I mean <laughs> Talk about a way to make a problem worse, right? Let's let's rush the solution. Yeah, exactly. And as I mentioned before, that kind of like happened to us because we refunded people right away. It was going to take five days. That was too long for well, a lot of people. So we then had to also deal with that. And also, like one of one of the things about like refunding people right away is that I I also mentioned this at the beginning of 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 the, this episode, and is that. Uh, we not only charge people, but we also pay the drivers. So although we like 
kind of like generated refunds to the to the passengers, the drivers were still in, on the way of getting their money. And we only realized that, that later. So we're, we're going to be paying like drivers a lot more money that we should have. And imagine getting all that money back if, if that's even possible. And, and that's kind of like the things you can you can miss by trying to rush a solution uh, instead of like taking time to think uh, about what really needs to be done. I like the phrase, uh, slow down to speed up. You know, if, if we can slow down, be mindful, then we can actually do better. <laughs> well, that you killed know, the conversation. Are we no, ready for actually, fix? <laughs> no, actually, I do. I know we're running on short on time. That that really leads down to the core. Uh, the the core of it is is how much of what we've experienced could have been avoided had we spent more time, and how much business opportunity would we have lost had we not, had we spent the time. So there's always that constant battle between the two, and unfortunately. It typically, unless you're working at NASA, it typically falls somewhere in between. So failing is part of development. I'd say um, if you're not failing, you're doing it wrong. Um, and uh, it, it, I, I, it, yeah, it really comes down to, to how much time you're allotting yourself to spend to make sure it's done right. Um, unfortunately for me, it's always been more towards on the business side than the, uh, than the craft side. You know, and I, I like to think about things like the two by four, you know, um, or the brick, you know, these basic ideas that they got implemented enough that it became something physical. It was an idea that became something physical, that became something copied, became a right. system of a pattern and, and it grows. And now it's like, what would it take to rip it out? It's like, yeah, by, by having fundamentals done well um, in our code our thoughts are becoming something solid in somebody's life. And it does take, because a lot more is happening than just the code running. You know, people's lives are changing or the team is figuring it out, or we've got an easy to test solution or a hard to test solution, or, um, you know, we're totally avoiding a part of the system. So we've got to get our thinking there. But yeah, I think the simple things help remind me that the, you know, the work of a software developer is, is really got to be down, down tight to the fundamentals. All right. Anything else we should uh, dive into here before we do picks? All right. Well, let's do some picks then. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Uh, Dave, do you want to start us with picks? Uh, sorry about that. You know, I was, I was uh, not on mute. Then I put myself on mute when I started to talk. That's how it works, right? So uh, I really don't have any good picks, but the one pick I do have is um, Costco glasses. So I recently broke my glasses. Rather, my kids were tackling me and they broke my eyeglasses and I had to get some new ones. So I went to Costco because I'm always there and I checked out their eyeglass shop. And I must say the price and the quality, I got a pair of Oakley glasses for like $200 before insurance kicked in. So with insurance and everything, it was like a hundred bucks. But a few years ago before that, I went to get glasses and they were like almost $400 for something very similar before insurance kicked in. So they definitely have good quality stuff and cheap. Awesome. Uh, David, what are your picks? So I've got two today. Um, uh, one of them is, if you guys don't know Peter Drucker, 
He's this great old man, called him the father of modern management. And in 1959, he started talking about the knowledge worker. And uh, in 1992, he predicted what it's going to be like in 2020. And a lot of it fits our conversation today. So I have an article about what did he predict and get right. And it involves the autonomy and the thinking and the, and the learning that we're talking about today. Um, and the other one is another article, A Different View of Mindfulness, uh, by, again, one of my favorite people, Zatrana. And what I like about this is he's getting down to our identity of self. In other words, if we're going to figure out how to solve hard problems, we can't like identify ourselves as, hey, I am the senior dev of the team. And so that's my identity and anything that um, challenges that I've got to fight back. So learning how to be able to work with hard problems requires a little bit of slowdown. And, and, and it's a great article. Awesome. Eric, what are your picks? I got two picks. Um, the first one is, <laughs> it's a little bit offbeat here. It's actually Django, the, the, the Python framework. And so I started working, I, I started moving code sponsor uh, to be open source. And it is, uh, I'm moving it all into Django. And the reason is because the company that I'm working with now, they all work in, in Python. And it's, you know, it's been a, a fairly somewhat simple process learning, but I'm floored with some of the niceties of Django that it offers out of the box uh, over Rails, um, primarily the admin tools. The admin tools are fantastic. Uh, the amount of time that I've saved by using those and the speed of which I'm up and running is unbelievable. So super happy with that. And then the second thing is, uh, it's kind of a weird pick. Uh, I want to pick a cat or cats. Um, <laughs> the weird thing about cats is they are, they're not like dogs. Um, they're not easy to, to, uh, have love you, right? You can't win a cat over just by petting it and, you know, giving it a treat. And all of a sudden you're his best friend. Um, we recently got a cat three days ago. This cat is, um, it's like a game. It's like a dance where we go in this room and we're trying to acclimate the cat to our home. So I have to go in there and sit down and just gently talk to the cat for like an hour. Like if you look right now, this is the first time it's come up and, and looked at me. Here's people listening can't see, but there's my new cat, right? So um, these cats are just, they're, they're like a challenge. Like anybody who adopts a cat and then starts learning, like gets them to love you, man, good on you because that's not an easy thing. So those are my picks. Nice. What have you named your cat? Uh, I've, I oh, yeah. would have come up with a really good name, but uh, it was already named. This cat that was like, the reason I bought it is it is, uh, I wanted a cat similar to something like uh, the Orbit cat. Cat Thunder Horse. <laughs> right. I wanted a, I wanted a cat similar to the one uh, with owned by um, what's it Tenderlove, right? Yeah. So I wanted a yeah. grumpy cat, and I found this cat, and it was just the goofiest looking thing ever. And here, yeah, let me that's... show. The listeners can't listeners can't hear, but here's my cat, and you can kind of see it. Um, I'll tweet it if you guys follow me. I'll tweet a photo of the cat, but it is just a goofy bugger, right? So, and that's why I fell in love with it. It's just so so goofy. Does it have its own Twitter account already? You know, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> anyway, yeah, with my cat. Awesome. All right. Well, um, I'm going to jump in here with a few picks now. Um, I've been going through some uh, stuff with my with my dad's health, and a few things that I have been doing lately that have just kind of come out of a lot of the stuff that I've been working on. Um, related to that, uh, I've been searching Craigslist and Craigslist kind of drives me crazy and I like it at the same time, but, uh, I've been looking for, uh, wheelchair lifts, uh, to get him in and out of his house. And it's, it's pretty amazing how much stuff you can find on Craigslist. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and pick Craigslist. The only issue is, is that you have to search different locales. Um, though I did find that when you're doing a search, if you look in the top left corner, this is on my computer. I, I haven't been doing it on my um, 
phone, and so I don't know how it works really on on mobile devices. But um, you can actually change to um, nearby locales and look in those. So I've been looking all over the the Western United States for a wheelchair lift that we could put in a, on his house, and uh, you know found a bunch of uh, options. And I'll probably be calling them after we get off this call. Um, another one that that also came up with a lot of the the places I was looking was eBay. And I haven't used eBay for quite a while, not since I was buying collectibles of various kinds. And um, anyway, a uh, lot of options on there too. So um, if you're looking for anything like that, then, uh, you know, it's kind of a nice option for that. So I'm going to pick both of those as just, you know, places to find sort of non-conventional stuff. Um, one other thing that I'm going to pick re- with regards to um, Craigslist in particular no, it, it, it's another cl- uh, classified site. But one thing that I did figure out, and this is just another tip, I've been wanting to buy myself a truck for a while. Um, I drive a truck. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, Eric or Dave, but it's it's got a rusted out top. Uh, one of the doors was replaced, so it's black, and the rest yep. of the truck is white. And uh, anyway, well, the, the parts of it that still have paint on it are white. Let me put it that way. Um, so anyway, it it's, it's this really crappy truck. And I've been wanting more of a full-size truck that I can more easily get my kids into and things like that. And I figured out that if you go look on uh, the classified sites for non-running vehicles, um, their definition of non-running vehicles means it needs repair. In other words, it may still run, um, but it just needs a part or two. And so if you are inclined toward working on a car, and I kind of enjoy it myself, um, you can usually find a, a truck or a car for uh, a really killer deal. Um, I mean, some of them are listed for a few hundred dollars and they need like a couple, couple hundred dollars in parts and a couple hours labor. And so, um, I've been really kind of digging that. Um, locally we have one called KSL classifieds and KSL is the local NBC affiliate. Um, and then they have a classified site that's related to that. And they have, they have dozens and dozens, hundreds of cars that are listed as non-running. And I could literally go up there, drive it back here, and then fix the couple of issues that make it not run real nice. So anyway, um, that, that, that's kind of what I've been in the middle of lately, um, is I've been dream- dreaming about a truck just to, you know, uh, deal with all the other crap that's going down right now. So um, I'll pick those. Um, Sebastian, do you have some picks for us? So sure, I have a few picks. Uh, all of them are uh, apps for the phone. Uh the first one goes kind of like the same line of David's uh, first pick, which is uh, like a mindfulness uh, geared uh, application. It's called Headspace. Uh, I've been trying to get into like the habit of meditating daily for a while, been doing it on and off. And I think that's, this app is really cool if, if you're interested in doing it. Uh, it kind of like guides you through the first steps and then make it really easy to kind of like create the habit of meditating daily. Um, another one would be, uh, second pick would be, uh, you need a budget. I don't know if, uh, people here know it, it knows it. It's just like a really nice app you can use to kind of like, uh, budget your monthly stuff on expenses and also keep track of what you're actually spending money on. I've been using different applications, different approaches, even spreadsheets to do this. And this one does a really good job and makes it really easy to do exactly what I wanted to do. So that's why I recommend uh, people checking it out if they're interested in, in using an app to track their expenses and uh, put their budget in. And the last one would be uh, OneBlocker, which is an application not only for the phone, but actually also for the for the laptop, for Mac laptops uh, or computers. Uh, it's, it's really good at, uh, in blocking stuff that you shouldn't be checking when you're working. So sometimes it gets really easy to get distracted looking at Twitter or just reading articles and different places. So sometimes like having something remind you that you shouldn't be doing that, it's, it's helpful and it's been working good for me. Uh, so check it out. Awesome. Now, if people want to see what you're working on these days, uh, do you have a blog? Are you on Twitter? Maybe your GitHub handle, anything like that? Yep. So I am Seva Soga all over the internet. So sevasoga.com is my website. There's not a lot there, but I, you should probably just like check Twitter. 
Uh, I'm also Sevasoga there, GitHub as well. Uh, and yeah, so at Cookpad, we have a really cool blog that, where we share the stuff we're doing. It's called sourcediving.com. I think there's there's a uh, few interesting uh, articles there that people can check out. Awesome. Well, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, thank you for coming, Sebastian. It's always fun to talk about sort of the non-code parts of code that are painful and interesting. So, Yeah, it was my pleasure. I, I had a great time talking to you guys and also hearing your stories. All right. Talking. We'll go ahead and wrap this one up and we'll catch you all next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.